Before we get this started, may I just say, it is way too freaking hot this early in the season. What is it? April 19th, and we're already talking about 90 in the South Valley, Tulare County, Visalia specifically. I'm not sure where you are. I have friends who listen to these podcasts in the Boston area, middle of the state, Illinois. I've got friends and family in Rockford, Illinois, in and around Chicago, friends in Monterey, Pacific Grove family there, family in Paso Robles, obviously everyone here in Visalia and Hanford, Porterville, Kings and Tulare counties. So I'm not sure where you are or when you're listening, but 90 on April 19th is just nasty. Listen, I'm cheap. I refuse to even approach the thermostat to turn on the AC until at least mid-June, and we're weeks away from that yet. And besides, I do these podcasts every single week from the guest room in our home, which is on the second floor. <laughs> it was great in the winter. Not so much now with heat rising. There's a ceiling fan in here, but it is loud. And I'm trying to be professional with these podcasts as best I can. I got a professional microphone, so I might as well try to have this um, sound as professional as possible. So I can't have the ceiling fan cranking in here. You hear the whole time. So I will roast for the next 45 minutes or so as I bring you the Insert Clever and Witty Name Here podcast. My name is Mike, and it's just Mike. I know I've explained this before, but I like explaining this every once in a while. I really do appreciate everyone who does listen to me with my mornings on the new My 97.5, but this is not that. It's it's a raw version of that. Um, less bells and whistles for a couple of reasons. If you listen, and I hope that you do, or at least give me a listen every once in a while to my mornings with Mike Pasto on the new My 97.5, I'm on from uh, Monday through Friday when I really do the, the heavy lifting of the show from 6 till 10. You'll hear the sound effects and the music beds and all that stuff. Uh, I don't give you that here for a couple of reasons. One, I want this to be a more raw version of who I am so I can spend a little bit more time talking about things that I don't get a chance to flush out as much on the air. Second of all, with all the music beds specifically... Uh, I don't own the rights to any of that music. Uh, see, the radio station, since it's a music radio station, they pay for that. Um, I don't have the deep pockets <laughs> that the owners of the radio stations do. So uh, this is why, and one of the reasons why, you get a raw version of, of what you get a chance to hear on the radio. Uh, and I, I like that as well, in, in addition to being cheap, which I think we've established with the fact that I don't want to turn on the AC. But... I do like bringing you a couple of the things that I do on a regular basis on the air. One of the things that I do every single morning at 610 is I go over what we celebrate that day. So today, April 19th, 2021, the one thing that jumped out at me first and foremost, and I had a lot of fun with this on the air this morning, today is National Garlic Day. Now, I spent a lot of my time in Monterey County, and just outside of Monterey County, you've got Santa Clara County. And one of the cities in Santa Clara County is Gilroy. Gilroy, for those who don't know, this is more so a benefit for my friends in central Illinois. If you're here in the Valley or anywhere in California, you know Gilroy for years now has touted itself as the garlic capital of the world. Vampires hate it. Won't go anywhere near it. You drive on 101 during garlic season. You don't even have to roll down your windows and you can 
and it, I love the smell of garlic. I, I'm half Italian, so I have never, ever sent a dish back to the kitchen saying there's too much garlic on this. No self-respecting Italian, I don't care how much Italian blood you have in you, a tenth of a percent has ever said, Woo, there's way too much garlic on this. There's no such thing. The only thing I've ever had that had too much garlic in it and it was just garlic flavoring is those Jelly Belly garlic beans. Yeah, they actually have Jelly Belly garlic jelly beans. One of my old program directors, Dave Kurth, who may or may not be listening to this, um, had them on his desk one time. And I don't know if he did it because everyone who ever walked into his office always just walked into his office to grab a handful of jelly beans. And at some point, he put like the nasty flavored ones in there. And I think at one point, he had just the garlic flavored jelly beans. Mm. I can still feel it trickle down my throat every once in a while. I could almost bite into a raw clove of garlic before I would ever have one of those jelly beans again. Just, um, just nasty. But here's the thing. Even with driving down 101 and smelling the garlic, Gilroy, sorry, is not the garlic capital of the world. So I went on this website this morning. Um, I should have got my readers. Brand on galley.com but it's um, basically 21 garlic industry statistics and I thought oh it's interesting so let me uh, let me go over some of these and I did this morning and I got to number 88 um, three counties in California provide almost the entire crop of garlic that is consumed annually first of all let me back up to number um, number seven says most of the garlic that is grown in the United States comes from California. So right there with number seven, you know that California is the number one garlic state in the country. All right, so cool. Right? We've got that already just in being Californians. So which county is number one? So that gets us back again to number eight. Three counties in California provide almost the entire crop of garlic that is consumed annually. Number three on the list is Monterey County. Now, again, that's the neighboring county to Santa Clara County where Gilroy is. So, not Gilroy yet. Uh, that's 5%, by the way. 5% of the state's garlic crop comes from Monterey County. Number two on the list uh, is Kern County, which is Bakersfield. So, that has 11%. All right, so Santa Clara County's got to be number one, right? No. No, no, no. The number one county... In California, when it comes to garlic crops, any idea? Fresno County, 82% of the state's garlic crop comes from Fresno County. But um, Gilroy is not in, uh, in Fresno County. Again, it's in Santa Clara County. So this whole myth, and it is a myth, that Gilroy is the garlic capital of the world. First of all, China, head and shoulders above everybody else when it comes to garlic-producing countries. They lead every country. We, America, import, we import more garlic than anybody else. If Gilroy would just step their game up and actually produce the amount that they say they already are by being the garlic capital of the world, maybe we would be closer to China, but... We're not. So, um, yeah, it's just great marketing. 
when it comes to Gilroy calling themselves the garlic capital of the world. That's all it is. It's, it's marketing. It's, it's the same thing when it comes to dairy. Outside of California, um, if you've lived your entire life in California, you think of, especially in the Valley, you think of the Valley as the dairy capital of the world. And truly, Tulare County is. Tulare County is the number one milk-producing county in the entire world. Has been for years and years and years. But I got news for you. If you live in any one of the other 49 states, you would swear it's Wisconsin because Wisconsin is America's dairy land. And you see pictures of the rolling hills and the green pastures and the cows running wild. And yeah, that's, that's great. But they do produce more cheese. I'll give them that. I mean, that's why the Green Bay Packers are cheeseheads. That's another story for another time. So they've got the cheese thing nailed down. All the Germany really makes more cheese than anybody else. But bottom line is Tulare County owns that. Why we don't market that more to let the rest of the country, if not the world, know that we have it. Why don't we have a dairy festival every year where you, you put somebody in one of those dunk tanks and it's filled with milk and it's dressed up like an Oreo cookie? How the world's largest dunk tank looks like a big, big glass of milk. And then on the side of the glass, there's this Oreo cookie guy dressed like an Oreo cookie. And you throw the ball, try to knock him in. And I think, you know what? We need to get something going on that. I'm just saying. So that's what we celebrated today with today being, again, uh, National Garlic Day and the myth that uh, Gilroy is the garlic capital of the world. And again, on National Dairy Day, we'll get back to the myth that Wisconsin beats us when it comes to actual milk. Um, something else that jumped out at me today, and I spent a little time on this on the year, but wanted to spend a lot more time with it, with this, is the fact that the pandemic has dulled us to the point now. The survey came out of more than 2,000 Americans. Turns out, for 32% of us, 32% say the highlight of our week is doing laundry. Now, I'm trying to justify this by assuming that most of those who are surveyed live in urban centers, bigger cities, um, maybe just apartment dwellers for the most part who don't have laundry facilities, washer and dryer in their apartment, in their home. So they have to do one of two things. If the apartment that they're in has laundry facilities, they take their stuff to that laundry facility and they can, and this is why I think this is the highlight of their week, they get to interact with other people in the apartment complex. Now, if they don't have facilities on site, then they have to schlep all that stuff in a bag, throw it over their shoulder, throw it in the trunk, or maybe walk on down to the closest laundromat, which I actually had to do when I lived in San Francisco, and do their laundry once a week at a laundromat where, there, again, there are other people they can interact with. And for quite a few people who are taking the COVID-19 thing extremely seriously, that may be, other than shopping, one of the only interactions they have with people. And for those who stock up, especially for those who live, in, live alone, I know quite a few people who are taking this very seriously. And they'll stock up when they go to like a Costco or um, a, a bigger box food store. 
and maybe get some things at a farmer's market, but they'll shop for a month's worth of groceries. So they'll definitely hit a laundromat more often than they'll actually go to the grocery store. 44% of people in the survey say that grocery shopping is the most exciting moment they have in their lives. So 44% say grocery shopping, the most exciting moment they have of their lives on a weekly basis. 32% say doing laundry. Um, again, I understand it because I've been in that situation where you have to go elsewhere other than down the hall in the utility room to do laundry. But wow, that's the bar could not be set any lower for us. Can you imagine what a thrill someone would have like jumping out of an airplane with a parachute? I mean, that would just, you go into cardiac arrest. I don't think we're prepared for that. So, um, I thought that was interesting. Spent some time talking about that, uh, earlier today. This is one. I do this segment, and I, I, I'll be honest, I stole this directly from one of my idols when I was growing up. Larry Lujak did the morning show on WLS in Chicago. Now, I, I have to be honest, he wasn't my favorite personality on the radio. I would listen to the afternoon show with Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer. They were, they were the be-all to end-all. And they've gone their own separate ways since. I think they're both still with us, and they're both doing their own form of entertainment. I think Steve Dahl is still on the radio somewhere in Chicago. Um, I'm probably doing a show from home. And I think Gary Meyer does a podcast or multiple podcasts. I don't think he's actually on terrestrial radio at this point. Um, If someone knows definitively that I'm wrong on that, please do um, reach out to me and and do let me know. And you could reach out to me anytime. Best way is on Facebook, and I hope we're Facebook friends at this point. It's Mike Pesto, M-I-K-E-P-E-S-T-O. Just message me anytime. I don't care. And you can message me to correct me on things that I get wrong because I think I may have mentioned before, I'm not a big stickler for what I say is right, what you say is wrong. I just want to make sure it gets right. So if I ever say something that is way off, like about Gary Meyer or, or Steve Dahl, but Larry Lujak at that same time did the morning show. Larry Lujak and Little Tommy, and they did a segment uh, like two or three times a morning called Animal Stories, which from what I remember, I was just a kid growing up uh, outside of Chicago at the time, was just that. They were stories about animals. So I do an Animal story segment every single day at 8.10. And the one I did last week, which I held on to because I wanted to spend a lot more time talking about this, is First Dog Major to get extra training after White House biting incidents, plural. Now, Major is the younger of the two dogs that uh, President Joe Biden and Dr. Jill Biden have there at the White House. Now, they didn't go there immediately, which tells me that the Bidens probably knew that they were going to have some issues adjusting because they didn't immediately make the move when the Bidens moved into the White House. But shortly thereafter, I remember reading, I want to say it was a week or two after the inauguration, they made a big deal about the dogs coming to the White House. And within a few short days, there was the first biting incident. It was just a nip, didn't break the skin, but at the same time, they realized, oops, and it was with Major. They sent Major back, I think just Major, back to Connecticut for some advanced dog training. Okay, fine. Flash forward a few weeks, Major's back in the White House, and now there's another incident, this one that was 
referred to as a, quote, minor injury, which tells me this is a little bit more severe than the first one. Maybe this one did break the skin, draw a little blood, but still described as a nipping incident. So a couple weeks went by, and then I read this story again. First dog major to get extra training after White House biting incidents. Now, this time around, they're not sending major back to Connecticut. They're actually sending him to a dog trainer somewhere in Washington, D.C. So he'll be close to the White House. I guess the Bidens could still visit. Maybe Major will come to the White House for a visit, but until the training is done, Major will be off-site. I think they're missing one of two golden opportunities with this. They need to do one of two things. Um, the serious approach is you have uh, a new cabinet position. Call it whatever you want. Uh, White House critters, it doesn't really matter, but someone who is a, a pet, an animal whisperer, and make the White House as pet-friendly as possible so that when foreign, dignitary, uh, foreign dignitaries come from other countries or um, you know, friends of the president and vice president's children or whatever, whoever comes to the White House, they're more than happy to welcome them and their pets, cats, dogs, ferrets, whatever it happens to be. And you have someone on site there who is the pet whisperer who can help that pet acclimate for the few hours that the pet's going to be there to other people, what have you. That's that's one approach you could take with it. The other approach, maybe a little less serious, is um, invite Kim Jong-un to the White House uh, without any training for Major whatsoever and have him walk up the steps, shake hands, and then see Major right there. And, of course, Kim Jong-un would respectfully ask, oh, may I pet your dog? Oh, absolutely, by all means. And then, well... <laughs> Problem solved as far as Kim Jong-un is concerned. Uh, what else did I come across? Okay, so here's one. And this was, again, something from last week that didn't shock me but surprised me a little bit in that who was number one. So U.S. News and World Reports, and I stress that because of what they reported, um, apparently every year, and this is the sixth year in a row that they've done this, U.S. News... And World Reports came out with their annual rankings. This was last week, Tuesday, of the top 10 countries in the world. <laughs> you may know where I'm going with this. Maybe you've already heard. So let's take it from the bottom to the top. We're not at the bottom, so that's good news. We're not number 10. Uh, the 10th best country in the world. Again, this is the list of the top 10 countries in the world. The Netherlands. At number 10. Now, I can I can tell you I have been to, and looking at this list, two of the countries on this list. And the Netherlands is not, um, is not one of them. Uh, so I really have no comment on that whatsoever. Sure, they're 10. All right. I, I won't argue because I can't. Uh, number nine, Sweden. Uh, great skiing, I understand, with the, uh, the Swedes and, the, and yodeling. Incredible yodeling. But... Uh, not good enough to get it out of the number nine position. The UK, uh, England, again, another country I haven't been to, at eight. I think it's the monarchy, personally, that's holding them back. Get rid of the monarchy, and they could probably go up the list next year, which mm, the whole Harry William thing, maybe uh, the monarchy is not going to be around much longer anyway. Uh, number seven on the list, again, another country I have not been to, New Zealand. Okay, so 
uh, New Zealand at number seven. Then there we are. United States of America at number six on this list of the top countries in the world. So what countries are the top five, the five countries that are better than America? Again, as far as U.S. news and World Reports is concerned, uh, number four, Switzerland. No, wait a second. So Switzerland is the skiing country. Well, Sweden. I don't know. Uh, is that the the one with the... No, I was thinking about the, the kid who put the, the finger in the dam so that it wouldn't leak, but I think that's Denmark. It's, again, I haven't been to any of these countries other than, so far, the United States. But uh, Australia... I take it back. So Australia is five. I, I jumped the gun a little bit. Australia is five on the list. Again, haven't been there because you've got New Zealand... And then on the exact opposite side of the world, United States. And then back to the opposite side of the world, Australia. Australia beats out the United States of America. Well, at least you got two countries speaking English. So there's that. <coughs> Excuse me. Then you have Switzerland at number four on the list. So uh, that gets us to four. Three, Germany. And I mentioned Germany earlier with the, all the cheese they produce. So apparently producing cheese... Uh, is enough to get you number three, and I'm assuming beer. Beer and cheese. Actually, yeah, now that I think about it, beer and cheese, they deserve to be in the top five. Uh, Number two, I guess not that surprised by this, Japan at number two. And number one, I believe, if I read correctly, is it number one for the first time? Yeah, after being number two, for several years, and then being number three at one point as well, Canada. Canada is the number one country in the world. I've been to Canada once in my entire life, and that was when I was going to Hartnell Community College in um, in Salinas, California. Um, my girlfriend at the time, um, I'm trying to think if she actually was my girlfriend, I just wanted her to be. I don't think she actually was, and this was a ploy to, to get her to say yes to going out with me. Lived in Moses Lake, Wisconsin, or Wisconsin, um, Oregon, which no Washington. I'm sorry, Washington. You had to go through Oregon to get to Moses Lake, which is basically well, very well east of um, of Seattle. So, and I found out the hard way on that trip that. In every single state, I believe, Canada, Oregon, and Washington, to get a hotel room, you had to be 21 years of age or older. And I was not at the time. I think it was 20. So I, I, I remember I, I'd driven from my house, from my parents' house. I was still living with my folks at the time. I'd driven from my parents' house in Salinas to just over the California-Oregon border. And I was looking for a place to spend the night, so I found like a Motel 6, the cheapest place I could find. And I knocked on a little window, so I'm looking for a place to stay for the night. Sure, we've got rooms. How much? Figured out how much. Can I see ID? Sure. Showed up my ID. Ooh, sorry. Uh, we can't, um, can't let you have a room. Well, why? You have to be 21 or older. <sighs> well, that sucks. All right, well, I guess I'll... Is that the law for everyone in Oregon? Yes, yes, it is. Uh, sorry. Well, that's okay. I'll just, you know, I, from California, I'll just go back across the state line 10 minutes down the road. And, uh, see, it's the law there, too. So 
I actually told the guy on the other side of the six feet foot glass, well, at least it seemed six feet thick, I said, so you're telling me that the states of California, Oregon, I found out later, Washington as well, they would rather me sleep on the side of the road, which is what I'm going to have to do now. They think that's safer than me staying in a hotel room. And he said, apparently so. So I did just that. I drove down the road a little while farther and found a place where I could pull off on the side of the road, and I slept in my car. And I thought, I ain't doing this again, and uh, I'm going to be in Washington tomorrow. And I made really good time, so I thought, I'm going to Canada. (laughs) So I, uh, and this was years before 9-11, and the Patriot Act, and the clamping down on borders and needing passports to go to the bathroom. So I literally drove to the border with nothing but my driver's license and showed up my driver's license. They looked through my car, I think, briefly and said, good day, hey, welcome to Canada, eh? Come on in, eh? And I went into Canada, and I spent a night in Vancouver where I could legally spend the night. And then the next day, I actually called my my wannabe girlfriend at that point. I said, you'll never guess where I am. I'm in Canada. She'll like, yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <coughs> so I spent the night there and then drove to Moses Lake the next day. So that is my one and only experience in Canada. I spent a whopping, what, maybe nine, ten hours in Canada. And I remember the view from the hotel. Uh, I just remember how cool it was. I was actually in a hotel by myself because there was no state in the country that I called home that would allow me to spend the night. So that is the list. Like it or not, we are, again, number six on the list as far as U.S. News and World Reports, the top ten countries in the world, hopefully to do better next year and maybe be number two behind Canada. One last thing before I get to what I want to spend the bulk of our time talking about, or at least the rest of our time. Um, Something that came across, and I mentioned this last week on my 97.5, from dating.com. It was a term I'd never heard before. I actually had to look this up, that the, the majority of singles prefer belfies to selfies, and not just on dating.com, but on any dating site. Now, uh, I like to think of myself as someone who is kind of in the know, uh, for someone who is in the age that I am, as far as you know, what things are, what's hot, what's not, what's being talked about. And it's one of the things that I do every morning called My Big Three, the three big things I think people will be talking about that day. So I like to think I've got my finger on the pulse, but apparently I don't because I've never heard the term belfy. When it said singles prefer belfies to selfies, I, I, I drew a blank, so I had to look it up. Uh, I now know what a belfie is. Uh, apparently, if you didn't know, a belfie is a selfie of your butt. Not just of your butt, although I guess just of your butt would work as well. But it, it has to predominantly feature your derriere, uh, not bare, Unless you really want to go there with a, a picture on whatever platform you're using. But yeah, so it, it's, trust me, I tried. It's almost, unless you have nine foot long arms, it is nearly impossible to take a belfie and have it be a true belfie in that you are the one taking the picture. So 
I actually posted a, uh, a Belfie uh, that Mike O'Neill, who does our afternoon show on my 97.5, he took the picture because, again, my arms aren't long enough. And I kind of got down a little crotch, crouch, crotch. <laughs> no, that's another kind of shot. <laughs> Uh, a crouching position and had him like kind of behind me for the most part. And I kind of put my fingers to my lips like, uh, and he took a, took a Belfie. It was my first Belfie. Um, had my true religion jeans on. So uh, he had the big old pockets with the buttons there. If you're familiar with those jeans at all, they're made in the USA, which is one of the reasons why I love those jeans. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. And, uh, saying that the majority of singles prefer belfies to selfies. So if you're single and you want to mingle, uh, apparently what you need to do is post a belfie, and uh, and that's what gets the job done. So there you go. That's that's all that I wanted to talk about as far as things I've talked about on the air. Uh, one thing I have not talked about yet and we'll be getting into tomorrow is um, this morning dove. And... All right, so this is, uh, I always thought morning doves are M-O-R-N-I-N-G, doves. No, they're, and my daughter pointed it out when we watched a video on YouTube. It's morning as an M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. She's like, Daddy, they're spelling it wrong. I'm like, no, no, they're not. It's, it's pronounced the same way. It has a different meaning, morning as in you're sad about something, which makes sense because of the, 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 coup, the coup that they have is... Kind of sad sounding. So it, it makes sense now because I thought, well, maybe they coo in the morning and that's why they're called morning doves. But again, it's spelled differently, different meaning. So now I know. But I bring them up because there is a morning dove nest in our backyard in this Japanese maple that we have. And it's a pretty good sized Japanese maple. It's not a miniature. So we noticed it a few weeks ago when my folks came to visit from Paso, but there was nobody in it, no birds. My mom actually saw the nest and I thought, wow. I, I would have thought for sure would have noticed that by now with all the time we spent in the backyard. But yeah, it's it's obviously an abandoned nest. There's no nobody in it. But sure enough, we checked a couple of days later, and there has been a bird in it every single day since. So we've been keeping an eye on it. And I love YouTube. I I, I need to rely on YouTube for more stuff than I have because it it immediately dawned on me that I know nothing. Had, Obviously, I knew nothing about morning doves. I thought it was M-O-R-N-I-N-G. And again, so I learned that. But I went on YouTube to look up dove nests and found out and I, I, from the videos that I've seen on YouTube. And again, if anyone happens to be a, uh, a birdologist, I'm pretty sure that's not the right term, but I'll go with it. Um, if you happen to know enough about birds to consider yourself an expert on the subject to know if this is indicative of of all morning doves, apparently the the male makes the nest and this kind of sits there and then there's calls out to a, to a female and a female comes and inspects the nest and maybe gives some recommendations and then little fella flies away, comes back and pads it a little bit more. Small nests, comparatively speaking, to the size of the bird. Uh, and then either she'll say, yeah, you know, I think I can do better and fly off. Or she'll say, okay, yeah, this, I wanted a room with a better view, but this will be fine. So she'll stay. And then she'll, she'll lay her eggs. After she lays the eggs, 
she'll leave for 12 hours of the day, and Daddy Dove will sit on the nest and sit on the eggs. In fact, the video that we saw, one of the, the two or three videos that we saw, one of the two eggs hatched while Daddy Dove was there, and the other one hatched while Mommy Dove was there. The funny thing is, and I had some fun with this with the kids, that Mommy Dove seemed to have the night shift, and then Daddy Dove was there during the day, and I said, you know why? Because at night the bar's open, and Daddy Dove's tossing a few back with the fellas talking about Little ball and chains at home, sitting on the eggs. Yeah, I know how it is. I had some fun. <laughs> the kids kind of giving uh, people play-by-play with what the doves were doing. But they, they do something which is ingenious, which I'm assuming that they just learned this over years and years and years, that when the eggs hatch, they, they will actually fly each half of the egg off to a separate location and drop the egg off there. So that any predators that were happening, I mean, snakes, for example, are slithering around, they see the egg on the ground, they don't look up and say, mm, there must be a nest up there. I'm going to get me some other eggs or maybe get the chicks or what have you. So the eggs are far removed from where the nest happens to be. Uh, I, I found that amazing that they would do that. And every video I saw, they did the exact same thing. Shortly after the the eggs hatch the the birds it was usually two halves of the shell each half would be flown away so for a very short amount of time the birds were vulnerable um in this case the chicken and the egg and then it's one point it's the two chicks were vulnerable but that's what the birds did and then they flip-flopped after that and the feeding is is interesting in that uh i forget what they call it Dove's milk, I think, was the term that was given to it. It's something that they regurgitate. So when the the baby birds literally put their beak inside the beak of mom or dad, because either one of them can do this, they regurgitate this dove milk, which is seeds and everything else that they kind of had in their stomach, into the bird's mouths. It's not like you see the pictures of... Mama Robin flying into the scene and putting a portion of a worm in the baby's mouth. It's literally throwing up in your kids' mouths. Okay. <laughs> and again, I don't know if that's indicative of all doves or even all birds for that matter, but it's what I saw in the video. So tomorrow, so this will be April 20th uh, on my mornings with Mike Pesto on my 97.5. I just want to ask the question, have you ever had a bird nest in your front or backyard that was so close you could practically touch it. And they, they really are that close. It's a, it's a smaller Japanese maple, but, I mean, it's, it's big enough. That I, I, could, I could probably reach up and touch the nest if I wanted to. I'm not coming anywhere close to it, but uh, that's something we'll talk about. And if you want to contribute to that conversation, again, tomorrow, the 20th, 622-1449, anytime between 6 and 10. I would love to hear from you. I want to spend the last bit of the time that we have, 10 minutes or so, talking about what I did as a great dad last week. Pat myself on the back for waiting nine hours in a virtual line online to get tickets to the happiest place on earth, Disneyland in Anaheim, California. So Disney parks will be open as of the 30th of this month. 
So the way that the park is doing it is you need it. They did the same thing and they're doing the same thing in Florida with Walt Disney World is you not only need tickets to get into the park, but you also need reservations because they're limiting capacity at least to start to 25 percent. And that could change at any moment because it's all based on the state's guidelines. At this point, I think Anaheim is in the red tier and if they open up to purple, actually, no, if they open up to orange and then yellow, they could open it up even more, which they're a company they could possibly do. That would kind of suck a little bit because it, it's kind of a nice thing knowing that when you go to the park, that 75% of the people that could be there won't be there. But why they weren't able to do that with just the tickets, why it had to be a two-fold process, and it was, I, I got online at 7.55, I think it was last week, Thursday, is when the tickets actually went on sale on the 15th. So it, you know, it would have been tax day had it not been for the postponement to the 17th of May. So I got online five minutes early. I thought, ooh, I'm cheating the system. I'm getting in early. And then I get that pop-up. You will have your spot come up in line in more than one hour. I'm like, oh, okay, more than an hour. That's, what, 65 minutes? I can wait that. And waited waited and then i waited some more and then it said recalculating at one point i thought okay that's good so it's going to pop up and it's going to say like 30 minutes no uh, after about an hour or so of recalculating it went back to more than an hour so do keep in mind in case my bosses are listening to this that the whole time i'm doing this on my cell phone which i'm not using any of the station's broadband i'm not tied into the station's wi-fi because it was a work day so i'm doing everything i would normally do i'm just hitting my screen so it doesn't go black every few minutes or so to keep my place in line and have it not kick me out while also doing all my other work. And all my work got done. Thank goodness for that. Uh, so I did all of that over the t course of the entire day from 8 o'clock on. Come 3 o'clock, it's time to pick up the kids from school. And I'm still more than an hour away from getting my tickets and finally being able to make reservations to get to the happiest place on earth, which I think I may have mentioned this before. This is an eighth grade or, or an eight-year-old present to my daughter. When she turned eight last year, we gave her the option of either getting a present from mommy and daddy, or if you wait a few months because her, her birthday is in February, I said, we will go to Disneyland and it'll be a little warmer so we can go on all the water rides and have fun and without even us being able to finish the sentence, I want Disneyland. Okay, so you do know you'll get a card from us on your birthday, but you won't be getting a present. That's fine. I don't care. So her birthday came and went. She got her card with a little reminder. Do you remember? You're going to Disneyland. And then COVID-19 happened. And Disney shut down. And our daughter was not very happy about it. And every once in a while would remind us or just kind of tell us, I should have gotten the present. <laughs> we said it. at some point they will open and the present is still going to be there. So, uh, and it was. So I, I got so much blowback from friends of mine. I say, why would you wait? What turned out to be nine hours in that virtual line online at Disneyland.com. Why would you do that? I said, because we made a promise to my daughter. And she already waited more than a year. And we weren't going to make her wait any longer. Then we found out that Avengers Campus at uh, California Adventure wasn't going to open until the 15th of June. 
So we're like, okay, well, we can't get tickets for opening day then. I mean, it would be great to be there opening day, but Avengers Campus won't be open yet. So it's got to be sometime after that. So it turns out we're going to be there June 26th and 27th. I figured to let some of the new park smell get off on those who want to be there the first week, and then we'll go the second week. And we got the hotel lined up. We we really wanted to do the um, the Grand Californian, which is Disney's like five star resort that's on site there. It's right above downtown Disney. I think it's a four star resort because I, I think the only reason it's a four star, not a five, is I think by the star ranking system, a five star resort has to have a golf course. And there's miniature golf, I'm sure, somewhere on Disney property, but there's really no room for a golf course. So it's 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 like a four plus star. Uh, we looked into that, but tickets started like a view of the dumpster out back at seven hundred seventy nine dollars and ninety nine cents a night for the Grand Californian on the property. Yeah, no, <laughs> we did not promise that to my daughter. So we're staying at the Hotel Portofino, which I got because, well, one, uh, it's Italian sounding and I'm half Italian and my wife is 100% Sicilian. So I thought, ooh, this is perfect. Uh, second of all, it was the cheapest one I could find that was in walking distance of the park. And as we've established with no AC crank in here in the house yet and me not paying royalty rights to have music with this podcast, I'm cheap, uh, and uh, yeah, so that wasn't going to happen. But we do have our tickets, and I don't regret a single second of it. I know it's not for everybody. There was actually one person who posted on my Facebook page, well, this is socialism. Um, it's, not, it's not socialism. It's capitalism. Uh, Disney is a company. They can choose within the law to open their park park however they see fit and give out tickets and ask you to make reservations, whatever is within the limits of the law. If it's not, someone could take them to court and say that you're breaking the law and the court could decide. But they made the decision. Government didn't tell Disney how to open their parks. The government actually was the one telling Disney that they had to close their parks for the longest time. And Disney was saying, listen, we have protocols. We've been doing this at Walt Disney World for a while now. And while you could argue that maybe Disney unreported or at least underreported some COVID-19 cases in Walt Disney World, I have yet to read anywhere of hearing anyone going to the Magic Kingdom or Animal Kingdom or Epcot or any of the properties in Walt Disney World, Florida, uh, having that be tied to a super spreader event. So they obviously have learned how to do things as far as keeping things clean and requiring guests to wear masks. And there are certain rides and attractions that are not going to be open and certain restaurants that are not going to be open because they can't guarantee everyone's safety, um, mostly outdoor dining. And even some places that are outdoor are going to be limited, if not closed, because there just isn't enough space. So um, I'm glad we're going. I don't mind the extra hoops I had to jump through to, to get to the park. Um, it was kind of fun. It was kind of worth it. it. It helped build things up a little bit for me because I'm a kid at heart. And I, I really did kind of get a thrill out of, of looking at my phone every couple of seconds or so to see, ooh, I haven't moved. Ooh, no, no, still have, no, no, still have not moved in line. And then when the countdown began 
at 59 minutes. It was really close to that. And every couple of minutes, it would go down. And I remember showing my daughter the phone a couple of times. Like, we're five minutes away. Ooh, we're three minutes away. And then got through, got the tickets. Okay, it's Disney, so you know it's expensive. And okay, it wasn't a cheapskate when it came to that. And got us the two park hoppers so we can go from one park to the other. The other bad thing about it is with the park hoppers, you do have to say which park you wanted to start off at. And then you have to stay at that park until 1 o'clock. So there's no park hopping until 1 o'clock. And then the parks are closing at 7, which, again, I understand because it gets past 7 o'clock and park officials can't see everybody and maybe they're getting together in areas of the park where they shouldn't be. And, okay, I, I get all of that. So we will be there on the 26th and the 27th, finally fulfilling a birthday promise to my daughter, and I'm glad that we are going. And for anyone who didn't want to go, doesn't want to go, cool. You didn't have to stand out line. I've yet to come across anyone who had to stand in that virtual line and get tickets and say they regretted doing it. So take that for whatever it's worth. Well, uh, I think I've hit everything I wanted to hit this week. Thank you for listening once again. If you wouldn't mind, if you like what you hear, get the word out. Help spread the word about the Insert Clever and Witty Name Here podcast. And I'll see if I can't crank out another one of these for you next week. Until then. Have a great week, and I do hope you give me a listen every once in a while uh, to My Mornings with Mike Pesto on the new My 97.5. Have a good one.